Happy Friday, June 7th. It's episode 14 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Insert Content Here. Hi. I'm Jeff Eaton, your host. I'm a senior architect at Lullabot. Every two weeks or so, I get together with fascinating people and talk to them about the things that they're doing with content. And uh, this week, I'm really happy to be here with Jared Stoneberg of uh, Number 10 Web Company. Uh, he and his team used structured content to build a gorgeous cookbook and publish it to print and digital in parallel um, with tons of rich media. Um, and they did it from a single data source. They did it from a single pool of content. And I wanted to talk to them about their experiences with it. So, hi, Jared. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. You know, we, we got a chance to talk a little bit at uh, DrupalCon Portland, and it was the first time I'd actually gotten my hands on a copy of this book, the Lark Cookbook. And I, I have to admit, I was blown away. I mean, I'm, I'm used to like very, you know, web oriented experiences, uh, you know, just from so much of the work that I do and seeing an actual physical product come out of the kind of structured content that, you know, we talk about a lot was just, just fantastic. How did the idea for this project first come about? Well, this project comes from a former life. Uh, that I lived as a chef before I got into working in the web industry. And um, a former colleague of mine is a local chef here in Seattle and wanted to write a cookbook. And I switched careers about eight years ago and got into working with technology and have since founded a company that delivers technology solutions to people. And, and I ran into my former co-worker and colleague, and he said he's talking about writing a cookbook, um, but was um, looking for a way to avoid the traditional publishing model. He wasn't happy with his options. And as we sat and, and had a, a really good conversation, I encouraged him to consider self-publishing and not just self-publishing a cookbook, but self-publishing his, his approach to cooking, his philosophy, which is really unique. He's a celebrated chef here in the Northwest. And to take that idea and not just push it into a print book, but to think about kind of a multi-channel approach. That's one of the things that I thought was very interesting, um, seeing all of the different ways that the actual content from the cookbook is being used. It was really obvious that you guys didn't start with the concept of a print cookbook and then start repurposing the content. You know, you, you started with a much bigger pool of stuff around the concepts that this chef was talking about. And then some of them ended up going into the print version. Some of them ended up going into, you know, the iPad version, stuff like that. I, how many different channels are you publishing this work to? I, I feel like I can't just call it a yeah. book. It's <laughs> Right, yeah, and and I've had the same problem um, using language to describe our project. Um, so right now we have the the content available as as a beautiful printed book. It's 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 kind of like a coffee table cookbook. It's filled with lovely recipes that are accompanied by beautiful images. So we have the print book. We also have an iPad app, which is the same recipes but is delivered in a different um, design. We also have an ebook format, which is both available in the Kindle and soon in the iBook store. Um, and so we have the three different, I guess, deliveries right now available. And then in addition, there's, um, there's a web version. It, it's, a, it's a small subset of the full content, but you do have a website that I think, you know, it's using the same underlying pool of content, right? 
That's right. Yeah. So we have a, a promotional website for our project called LarkCookbook.com. And there we're using the same data that's coming from the book and the app and the iBook and the ebook. And it's it's showing off some of the things that are inside of the the product, I guess, and shows the recipes. It doesn't show them in their full their full format, um, but we could easily create a web product with the data that we have right now and the way that it's built. One of the things that I thought was interesting is that it it goes way beyond what I've seen in a lot of other cookbooks. On, on the iPad version, each step in a lot of the recipes actually had a video of the chef performing that that particular step. So you can look at the list of you know steps and instructions. But if you tap on one, you can go in and say, well, you know, okay, I, w- I want to see actually what does dicing that really look like. You know, what am I supposed to be doing here? What what kind of different assets were you gathering? Like, did did you go into it knowing how much you were going to be creating for it? Well, we had a really interesting kind of beginning along those thoughts and and how to approach the concept of a recipe, uh, but use the medium in which it's being presented to its, you know, as, as much as possible to make that an interesting experience. And so when I talked to the print designer at the beginning, he wanted to follow a more traditional layout that you might see in a cookbook with a list of ingredients on one side and methods attached to them or methods in a separate column or displayed in a different layout. And when we began to talk about the app, our visual designer and, and interface designer said that she had some good ideas about trying a new approach. And, and we began to dissect the recipe and, and take each step. And rather than just show a list of ingredients and then show what to do with them, we kind of brought the two together and we would take a step and the ingredients that are associated with that step and show them together. And then, like you said, we have media attached to those steps so that there's kind of a, a step is represented by a method that is place the butter in the, in the pan, an ingredient, butter, and an image showing the butter in the pan, you know, for example. And it's displayed completely differently than in the print book. By taking advantage of, you know, the beautiful display on the iPad, we can show in a step-by-step slideshow how some of these fairly complex recipes get put together. And I think that that is something that can disarm uh, a really intimidating recipe and give people confidence in the kitchen to be able to see, oh, okay, that's not crazy. That's just setting this, you know, cutting it this way or folding in the cream that way. And we've had really good feedback about this method of taking a step and an ingredient and an image and kind of munging them together and showing them as one discrete piece of information. How how did that process look? I mean, the the actual process of figuring out how you were going to model recipes. Did was it an iterative one? You know, did you start sort of arguing about what the platonic form of a recipe was? <laughs> yeah, we definitely had a lot of arguments. That uh, that's something that my business partner and I take a lot of joy in is arguing about how to model content. Um, uh, he, you know, we we looked at it a few different ways and and. We got a couple samples from the chef of, of things that he wanted to for sure have in the book. And it became clear to us that what he was putting in the book was something far more than just a simple recipe. So we came up with the terminology of calling what you may say as a recipe is calling that a plate. And that's an asparagus salad with a lemon garlic vinaigrette and a Parmesan crisp, for example, right? So there you actually have three recipes, and those together make that plate. And we decided that we were going to use this, this way to set up the data. And so people would 
when we were creating the content, people would make recipes. And from the recipes, we would make plates. The steps had to be broken down all the way so that we could use them in this manner. Once we decided on, on this, on being able to have flexibility to this degree, we knew that we had to be able to take them down to the step and the ingredients as well. We actually have taken the ingredients, um, not just broken them out individually, but we had to take um, care in that the way that they're used. So, for example, in a couple of the pastry recipes, you'll be making a dough and it calls for butter at the beginning when you make the dough, and then you're going to saute some peaches in butter as well. So butter is called for in the print recipe as a three-quarters cup, but in the iPad app, you'll see it as a quarter cup at the beginning and then a half cup at the end as it's used, which is one of those things that I always get confused about, even though I've been cooking my whole life, about why does it say a half cup here, but it's only calling for a quarter cup right now in the recipe. And then and, 20 minutes later, you regret yeah, not having... <laughs> exactly. Or why is there still a half stick of butter sitting on the cutting board after I'm done? Uh, and the thing doesn't taste very good. So uh, it was really nice to be able to to take it all the way down. So we did get very, very specific. We also actually have collected data um, that's yet to be built out in the app, but we have metric measurements and single and double scalings for each of the recipes. Ooh. And so hopefully we'll be able to build those out um, later this summer when we uh, have a little more development time to add all of that information that exists in our database into the app. One of the things that I'm really curious about is um, you built out this, you know, this fantastic structured content model for it. Um, but the actual difference in the visual presentation from like the iPad app to the print version is, is striking. How did the actual translation of, of that happen? You know, I'm assuming you couldn't just like automate the process of, you know, generating the book. You know, there, there was design work that went into that. But how, how did how did you bridge that gap? Well, we had just an amazing team. Uh, so there were nine people involved in the creation of this cookbook and three of them were on the design side. Uh, we had very talented designers and and the, and kind of the creative director for the project, instituted a, a workflow in which uh, the different pieces would be interpreted differently for the devices. And in some cases, we have components in the database that don't show up in different mediums. Um, all of the main content is there, but for example, we have videos included in the app that obviously are not in the printed book. And in the printed book, we have some interstitial layouts that that are not what I would call primary content, but are maybe secondary or complementary content that we felt like we wanted to replace with the videos. So it really was a matter of the designer becoming super familiar with a little bit more of the nerdy stuff than maybe he was comfortable with so that he could go in and make those strategic decisions when talking to about print or about the digital representations. And then you get even the kind of on the two ends there is the iPad app, which is very distinct in the printed book. And then in the middle, we have the, the ebook, which is kind of the two coming together and a lot more of a, a merging. It's, it's based on the design of the printed book and how that was designed like an InDesign and laid out with a, a very familiar cookbook um, approach. But then we're also able to include in the devices that support it, things like videos and hyperlinks to reusable recipes that are referenced in, in other complementary recipes. So does that answer the question? Yeah, yeah. I think I think one of the things that I'm most curious about, it sounded like you were using um, InDesign to do the actual layout, the book layout, right? 
That's right. Uh, was it just like a, a copy and paste process of moving stuff into InDesign or? That unfortunately is exactly what happened. <laughs> um, and as you can tell when you hold the book like this, this is a very handcrafted book. There was every, every ligature was carefully put there and every um, layout on every page is, was examined and we couldn't find a way to automate that into InDesign with our kind of limited budget. We ran a Kickstarter campaign that funded this development of this and it was it was a tight budget and so copy and paste it was. Okay. But copy and paste from the canonical source. Oh my I you know, I have to admit, I didn't even realize that there was a Kickstarter campaign that that ended up being a part of this. Um that my word, you're you're just like ticking off all of the all of the cool, interesting uh interesting models uh checkboxes. Yeah, we're we're building a, a a Hiroko recipe that'll just do all this for you starting next week. <laughs> we'll check them all off. <laughs> so, well, I mean, what, what was the, what was the Kickstarter process like? I mean, it, I know working on a project is, is tricky in and of itself, just from a planning perspective. But like one of the things that I've seen a lot of Kickstarter projects sort of struggle with is figuring out how to balance, you know, realistic promises with the desire to sort of generate enthusiasm. Absolutely. Yeah, the Kickstarter uh, process was a whole distinct part of our project, which has been now, I guess, 17 months ago, we began the Kickstarter and we began working on the Kickstarter uh, two months prior to that. The Kickstarter was a massive success for us. We got in, I think, not at the beginning of Kickstarter. We were post Pebble, but we were definitely like um, Still early-ish in this type of project. You'll see a lot more uh, people doing similar things to what we did now. And we just had a great response. Uh, this is the beauty of working with somebody who has a reputation and a really passionate fan base was that we were able to engage people early in the Kickstarter campaign, which statistically means you have a much higher percentage of achieving your goal. And I would say, you know, as, as we think back on the project, one of the things that you know, maybe we would do differently, would have been a little higher goal. We, we set a goal of about 35, I think it's $33,000 to produce a multi-channel, beautiful, uh, best-in-class quality book. And uh, that we, we actually exceeded that. Within a week, we'd met that. And over the course of the campaign, we, we reached $55,000, which was really great. That, that was so encouraging and really took the project and gave it a huge spark at the beginning of enthusiasm Unfortunately, that was, you know, not a huge amount of money once we got going. And we have wonderful people who worked on the project at a reduced rate to be a part of something they were passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped us get, get the project completed on budget. We found that when we did the campaign, it gave us the ability to engage with, uh, I don't like the term, but for lack of a better term, kind of a fan base. Uh, and as people became supporters one of the lowest rewards, in fact, we kind of had the additive model where you get this, and then when you go up a level, you get that plus the next thing and that plus. Mm -hmm. And so everyone who was a supporter, became a, gave, we gave them what we called access to rough cuts, which was in development recipes. So every week we sent out a kind of uh, restricted access uh, newsletter through MailChimp where we gave them a link and a login to the Drupal site where they could go in and see the recipe in its current form and they could prepare it and then we had comments enabled and we could solicit feedback and that was a really cool way to keep people engaged through the process and they got to watch us make the cookbook uh, which turned out to be 
a really fulfilling experience. It was, it, we felt like we were going on that journey with people. And when, when the book came, people were really excited about it. You know, a lot of times with chefs, they go write a cookbook and then here it is. You know, it, it, it wasn't there yesterday and now it's here. And um, they got to see us do this whole process over the course of seven months to make this cookbook. And that engagement that Kickstarter really facilitated was a big kind of win for our project. Um, And as far as delivering rewards, our reward kind of uh, structure had the benefit of having a really nice restaurant attached to it, which the chef owns. And so we came up with some really fun things like private cooking classes that we could fulfill without having to use a lot of our budget. So we could say, hey, you know, you're going to get a free copy of the app when it's done or that next level up, you're going to get a copy of the signed book. Next level up, you're going to get a cup or you're going to be invited to a brunch cooking class. And we also threw a couple of parties that people at a very low level got access to with wine and cheese and kind of a chance to sit down and hear updates from the project. That's actually really interesting. A lot of the successful Kickstarter projects that I've seen have you know, have managed to do that where there's value that people get out of it that doesn't necessarily double the amount of work they're actually pouring into the production process just to, you know, meet those stretch goals. It, it, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm a big fan of Kickstarter and I use it. And now when I see some of the ones I signed up for, I get really excited. Like, oh, this, this is an awesome wallet or iPhone case. And then I, and then I start reading it after I've clicked support. And I realized, I sure hope these guys are not successful because they're in for trouble. Like, this is, I don't know how they could fulfill this. This is going to be painful. Um, but we, we, had, um, we had some people for whom that was what they did uh, for a while, which was just help us um, make sure that we were, we were taking care of our backers because they're really the reason this thing happened. One of the things that we talked about a little bit uh, when we were chatting at DrupalCon was the, the actual editing experience. You know, you're, you're describing a a really, um, you know, what, what's popular to refer to as like a chunky um, content model, you know, breaking it down to those very discrete, you know, small components. Um, but that can also be a really, really jarring experience for people actually doing the content entry and content management if they're not familiar with, you know, that kind of, you know, really structured data. How did you guys tackle that? Well, that, that's true. And I, you know, we, what we were unable to do was make that not be true. It was, it was a very complex content entry process because of the degree to which we required the data to be available to us. So by making it a kind of hyper chunk, we were putting on the data entry person a heavy burden. And like I mentioned to you earlier, we actually have uh, variants of ingredient weights and measures that aren't even being displayed or used currently and those are, the form was, I guess, you know, many screens long and would take a long time to fill out. And so that is for each recipe. And we have three, four recipes per plate. And so we're talking about 75 plates in the app, which gives us over 200 of these screens to be filled out by somebody who is working from uh, various sources. Uh, you know, we generally tried to get it into a Google Doc that was easily copy and pasteable at that point. Ah, uh, Google Docs. Yeah, well, it was better than some of the other kind of sources of which, you know, during the recipe testing process, we had a team of testers and sometimes they give us back Word Docs with paragraphs of flowing text about how the recipe went for them. And sometimes they come back in an Excel spreadsheet with detailed bug report sort of approach. Um, and that all kind of got 
filtered into Google Docs where we tried to make it as easy as possible for our content entry person to cut and paste. And the best, you know, as much as possible whenever that content person content entry person was having difficulty, uh, we would try and help because we're programmers and we love and know Drupal intimately. We were able to go in and improve the form as much as we could, but we couldn't make it any smaller. And that's, you know, one of the one of the challenges, I guess, to being able to record your data and have it easily u- usable and you know very chunky and future friendly is that it requires a lot more work on that part of the process and uh, I believe that work is very worth it and we're reaping the rewards of having made that investment but we paid somebody for two months to enter recipes and that and that was just a big piece of work we were able to do some good usability improvements for that person to enter. Like, for example, using autocomplete fields instead of text fields so that you could easily make sure that we're using standard standard definitions of things like salt or kosher salt or sea salt. You're doing things like adding a select list um, as much as possible, getting away from text fields when we could standardize on taxonomies or on different ways to describe um, things consistently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. And, and it sounds like that was definitely an iterative process, not just, you know, you didn't just, you know, go off into the wilderness and come back with an edit form. That's right. Yeah, I did about two of them. And then I worked on the form for about a week. And then that person began entering content. And then I worked on the form for a few more days. And then from there, it was just touching it up here and there. Um, but we, I think we got a pretty good thing in place. It was just a matter of setting expectations, right? This isn't just going to be like, you go in there. Uh, here's the recipe for chocolate cake and just paste it into a text area. This is a very intentional way to get our data so that we can have all these options on the other side and setting expectations around how long it would take, how tedious the work was and how very grateful we were (laughs) for the help uh, helped a lot. You know, like there was, nobody was surprised when they got in there and we were very clear. This is a data entry job of like, and it's going to be rough. Uh, It's going to take a lot of time and, a lot of attention to detail. And that was a really nice thing for us is we found somebody who actually really enjoyed that. And for me, that sounds terrible, but that person enjoyed it a lot and has a very careful eye, caught things that we had missed in terms of like the way we were using certain language inconsistently or even typos. That was that was how all of it got in there. And then, like I said, we'd have to cut and paste to get out of there to the print edition. Uh, but for anything digital, we we are not cutting and pasting anymore. That's actually one of the funny things because a lot of the uh, a lot of the customary answers, you know, well, you know, don't break things out into separate fields if you don't really need to. With with recipes and cookbooks, it's it's not really that easy to to come up with fields that or with solutions that aren't fundamentally chunky. I know in a very very old project that you know I'd worked on at Lullabot, we actually ended up writing a a recipe parser. Um, so that we had an ingredients field that tracked unit of measure and, you know, how many and stuff like that. But the actual widget that it exposed was a big text field. And, you know, we, ha- we had very high hopes for that and even got it working to the point that it could fairly reliably parse pasted recipes. But even then, it's, there's a very hard limit to how far you can push that kind of easy entry without just losing a lot of information. That's right. And because we decided to take an approach in the app where we where we had a relationship between a step and a set of ingredients we we had to create that relationship in the database as well and so 
on top of kind of an interesting and complex model to start with, we added some relationships so that we could uh, utilize those on the display side and certain outputs. And that made it even trickier to say, you know what, this part of the butter that's included is for this and this part of the butter is for that. Um, so it was, it was pretty, pretty actually just a really fun exercise, but a lot of time with the whiteboard and just getting really clear about using terminology it was really hard to get away from using the word recipe to describe what we came to call a plate. Naming things is hard. Very hard. Very hard. Yes. Well, I think one of the things that I'm most curious about now is what would you tell past you about, you know, how to approach things differently or, or what to stick with? Um, I'm, I'm curious. Well, one thing that, that we changed kind of midstream was once we began working on the pro, so the project started, Kickstarter hit, we were funded, and before the campaign ended, we, we, we essentially had a green light. Like, well, our campaign was successful, let's get to work. So we got going right away, and we had initially seen this in terms of media production of having kind of the one or two shots that you see in a printed cookbook or maybe a small sequence from time to time, and then spending a lot of budget and time on video production maybe like kind of a 70-30 ratio. And as we began working with our photographer, we decided early on that these images were too good and his his work is outstanding. So we actually shifted our media approach. And so maybe I would have said, you know, consider the weight of videos, first of all, on devices that still don't have a lot of internal memory and the bandwidth issues and think image first to begin with. The other kind of two things that come to mind would be ask for more money <laughs> at the beginning and the Kickstarter campaign and um, and don't don't underestimate the amount of work it's going to take publishing in a multi-channel way. So just because the data exists um, and we have easy access to it through wonderful things like the views module and like you know robust API for entities, we still have to do the work of getting those things in and out. And like in the case of the app, we do we do a little bit of normalization on the data that comes out of Drupal. It's not just a straight, what you see in Drupal is an, you know, an RSS feed exposed that makes the app. And so there was, there's a little bit of tuning that happens, a little bit more work than I expected, I guess, to take it from central database to multiple platforms. And, and then the big piece of content entry, like invest, invest, invest in the content entry. The content is really what we care about the most. And so treat it with respect and spend time on the front side developing the model. And, and don't be afraid of paying to get that content in a format that gives you as many options on the other side. I want to say thank you very much for joining us. And um, where's the best place for uh, people to go if, if they want more information? Like I said, our website for the for the project is larkcookbook.com. And you can also check us out. The, the Kickstarter campaign is over, but I, I think it's a really, you know, having run a successful Kickstarter campaign, you, uh, you'll you find that a lot of people will contact you asking you how to run successful Kickstarter campaigns. And I, I think our project is, is, uh, is, is fun to look at. So that's, you can search for Lark on Kickstarter as well. And, uh, you know, we're on the, t- the Twitter at, Laura Cookbook and Facebook as well. Well, thanks a lot, and uh, good luck, and uh, happy content publishing. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to Insert Content Here. 
If you'd like to catch up on past episodes or hear about new ones, you can visit us at lullabot.com slash blog slash podcast slash insert content here. You can also visit us at insertcontenthere.com. 